Commission on Community Investment and Infrastructure for Tuesday, September 20th, 2022. I'd like to welcome the members of the public who are streamlining uh, or listening in to us live and to the staff and others who will be participating in today's meeting. Following the guidelines set forth by local officials at this time, the members of this commission are meeting remotely to ensure the safety of everybody, including members of the public. So thank you all for joining us. Madam Secretary, please call the first item. Thank you, Mr. Chair. The first order of business is item one roll call. Commission members, please respond when I call your name. Commissioner Brackett. Commissioner Brackett is absent. Commissioner Ludlum. Here. Commissioner Scott. Commissioner Scott, we can't hear you if you're speaking. That mute went back on. I'm sorry. Here. Vice Chair Rosales. Here. And Chair Feaster. Present. All members of the commission are present except for Commissioner Brackett, who may be joining later. The next order of business is item two announcements. The, the next regularly scheduled meeting is scheduled on Tuesday, October 4th, 2022 at 1 p.m. B, announcement of public comment procedures. Please be advised a member of the public has up to three minutes to make pertinent public comments on each agenda item unless the commission adopts a shorter period on any item. During each public comment period, viewers online will be instructed to dial 415-655-0001, enter the access code, which is 2483-585-8587, press the pound sign, and then the pound sign again to enter the call. When prompted, press star three to submit your request to speak. When you dial star three, you will hear the following message. You have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait and wait to speak until the host calls on you. When you hear your line has been unmuted, this is your opportunity to provide your public comment. You will have three minutes. Please speak clearly and slowly, and you will be placed back on mute once you are done speaking. You can stay on the line and continue to listen to the meeting, but you can also choose to hang up. If you are planning to provide a public comment on any items on today's agenda, it is recommended that you call the public comment line ahead of time to allow you to listen to the meeting live and to prevent you from experiencing delays caused by live streaming. Today's meeting materials are available on our website at sfocii.org under commission, then the public meetings tab. The next order of business is item three, report on actions taken at a previous closed session meeting, if any. There are no reportable actions. The next order of business is item four, matters of unfinished business. There are no matters of unfinished business. Next order is item five, matters of new business consisting of consent and regular agenda. Mr. Chair. Thank you, Madam Secretary. So to comply with the recent state legislation and to allow us to continue to hold a teleconference meeting, I'd like to call item number 5B out of order and make it the first item on the agenda. Madam Secretary, please call item 5B. We'll start with regular agenda item 5B, authorizing the continuation of teleconference meetings and making findings in support thereof under California Government Code section. 54953E, Discussion and Action, Resolution Number 27-2022. Director Kosofsky. Thank you, Secretary Cruz, and greetings, members of the Commission, members of the public. 
Uh, this item before you is related to your monthly authorization to operate uh, remotely by these teleconference uh, hearings. Um, and this is all stemming, of course, from the COVID emergency um, that in 2021, the commission authorized remote teleconferencing meetings in its first instance. The requirement to hold publicly accessible meetings is uh, derived from the State Brown Act, which requires that uh, the meetings to hold publicly accessible meetings uh, be held uh, in a publicly accessible space. And of course, during the COVID emergency, these were being done via remote meetings. This is allowed under a modification to the Brown Act under state law, Assembly Bill 361, which allows for under monthly author reauthorizations, teleconferencing to occur under certain conditions when certain findings to make. And those findings include that there's a state of emergency that's declared that impacts the ability of the public to meet in person. Both the, the state and the city of San Francisco have states of emergency. And so therefore we're continuing to operate remotely. That concludes a uh, presentation on that item. Thank you. Thank you, director. Madam secretary, do we have anyone from the public who wishes to provide a comment? If there are any members of the public who wish to provide public comment on item 5B, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2483-585-8587, press the pound sign twice to enter the call, then press star 3. If you are already on the phone with us and would like to provide public comment on item 5B, press star, uh, excuse me, star 3 to enter that queue. Mr. Chair, it does not appear that any members of the public would like to comment on item 5B. Hearing no request to speak on this item, I'll close public comment. Um, commissioners, do you have any questions regarding this item? No questions, sir. Thank you. So, hearing no questions, uh, may I get a motion for item 5B? Mr. Chair, I move that we approve of the continuation of teleconference meetings and making findings in support thereof under California Government Code uh, Section 54953E, Resolution 2722. Thank you, Commissioner Scott. May I have a second? I would second that motion, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner. Madam Secretary, please take roll. Commission members, please announce your vote for item 5B when I call your name. Commissioner Brackett. General Counsel Morales, can I just continue with uh, the commissioners announcing their vote? Is anybody there? I'm here. Okay. Uh, appears that Jamie is. Uh, is she here? She's muted. It appears that Jamie is frozen. Okay. Um, so can I um, call yes. Sorry. You guys hear me? Yes. Now we oh, can. Barely. I'm back. I'll 
Secretary, do we have anyone from the public who wishes to provide a comment? If there are any members of the public who wish to provide public comment on these items, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2483-585-8587, press the pound sign, then the pound sign again. To enter the call, then press star three to be placed in the queue. If you're already on the phone and would like to provide comments on the minutes from August 2nd, Please press star three on your mobile devices. Mr. Chair, it does not appear there are any members of the public wishing to comment on the minute. Thank you. Hearing no request to speak on this item, I will close public comment. Commissioners, may I get a motion for the consent item? The, oh, sorry. Yes, uh, Mr. Chair, um, I move approval of the minutes item 5A. I second that motion. Thank you. Madam Secretary, please take roll. Commissioner members, please announce your vote for item 5A, the minutes, when I call your name. Commissioner Brackett. Commissioner Brackett is absent. Commissioner Ludlum. Aye. Commissioner Scott. Aye. Vice Chair Rosales. Aye. And Chair Bustos. Aye. Mr. Chair, the vote is four ayes, one absent. Thank you. So the motion carries. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Agenda item numbers 5C through 5F related to the bond items will be presented together but acted on separately. Item 5C is authorizing a personal services contract with TFM California Advisors LLC, a Delaware, li li excuse me, Delaware limited liability company in an amount not to exceed $170,000 for financial advisory services in connection with the proposed issuance of tax allocation revenue bonds and tax allocation revenue refunding bonds. Discussion and action, resolution number 28-2022. 5D is authorizing a personal services contract with Fieldman, Rolap and Associates Inc. in an amount not to exceed $86,500 for financial advisory services in connection with the proposed issuance of City and County of San Francisco Community Facilities District Number Six, Mission Bay South Special Tax Prefunding Bonds. Discussion and action. Resolution Number 29-2022. 5E is authorizing a legal services contract with the law offices of Alexis SM2 in an amount not to exceed $121,000 for disclosure counsel services in connection with the proposed issuance of tax allocation revenue bonds and tax allocation revenue refunding bonds. Discussion and action, resolution number 30-2022. And item 5F is authorizing a legal services contract with Jones Hall, a professional law corporation in an amount not to exceed $308,000 for bond counsel services 
in connection with the proposed issuance of tax allocation revenue bonds and tax allocation revenue refunding bonds and for bond and disclosure council services in connection with the proposed issuance of city and county of San Francisco, community facilities district number six, Mission Bay South, special tax refunding bonds, discussion and action resolution number 31-2022. Director Koslowski. Thank you, Secretary Cruz and members of the commission, members of the public. Um, the item before you are four different items. They'll be presented in a single fashion, but they'll be voted on separately. Um, they're related to our enforceable obligations and the financing thereof um, in two project areas, Trans Bay and Mission Bay. And this is a contractual uh, engagement we'll be doing to augment the financing team to support our finance staff here in uh, the, bond, um, the bond and financing process. Um, they're both legal contracts and financial advisory contracts. And this item will be presented in detail by John Daigle, our debt manager. John. Good afternoon, Chair Bustos, members of the commission, Director Keslowski. <clears throat> As pointed out, these are uh, four contracts that are um, related and um, overlap over uh, several of the uh, uh, three planned uh, uh, bond issuances for the coming uh, year. Next slide, please. Uh, first, there's a estimated $90 million in uh, new money Transbay infrastructure bonds. Uh, second is a um, refunding of uh, series uh, 2016 DE, as in Delta Mission Bay South uh, bonds. And third is a refunding of um, five separate um, Mission Bay South Community Facilities District bonds. Uh, next slide, please. The team um, composition for uh, each bond issue uh, consists of uh, a financial advisor who advises on deal structure and sort of sees the process through the marketing into the, uh, the final pricing, um, advising on the uh, best way to structure the deal um, in terms of uh, the uh, term structure, as well as the inclusion or not of um, uh, bond insurance or uh, a surety in the uh, in lieu of a debt service reserve, these things can create substantial um, uh, savings, and they require uh, a fairly sophisticated um, analysis in connection with the markets. Uh, bond Council, of course, drafts the uh, bond documents and uh, issues certain critical uh, opinions uh, regarding the uh, uh, legality of the bonds essentially and their compliance without which uh, you simply get, could not issue bonds. Similarly, Disclosure Council um, drafts the official statement, um, which is easy to say, but that's the uh, document um, which investors are solely uh, entitled, um, entitled to rely on when they make their um, decision to buy the bonds. In other words, it, can, it contains all the relevant information um, and, and no misinformation. Um, and fiscal consultant, I'm sorry, fiscal consultant is um, the party that looks at the revenue stream. Um, in the case of the tax allocation bonds, that it's called the fiscal consultant. And in the case of uh, 
the uh, community facilities uh, bonds. It's a special tax consultant because the uh, CFD bonds are supported uh, not with regular uh, tax income, but with uh, a uh, special tax revenues. Next slide, please. And so um, the uh, contracts that we're looking at are for financial advisor for the, uh, the first column, which are both tax allocation bonds, um, would be a PFM for the uh, FA, Bond Council's Jones Hall, Disclosure, Alex Chu, uh, fiscal consultant, has not yet been uh, formally selected. <clears throat> for the uh, CFD bonds, the financial advisor is Fieldman Rolap and Associates, Bond Council Jones Hall, Disclosure Council Jones Hall, and the fiscal consultant or uh, special tax consultant is uh, Goodwin Associates. Next slide, please. Uh, all the members of the financing team were selected from a competitively uh, established city panel uh, through the issuance of an RFP to all um, uh, uh, members or uh, occupants of that panel. Next slide, please. Um, just quick background on uh, PFM. <clears throat> they would be the financial advisor, uh, as pointed out, for the two um, uh, Mission Bay uh, the Mission Bay and the Trans Bay uh, tax allocation bonds. The amount of the contract uh, total is 170,000, breaking down to 85,000 for each uh, bond issue. Um, the term is uh, until the bonds are issued. Uh, the source of payment for the contract is uh, bond proceeds. Uh, qualifications are experience, staff depth, knowledge, and post uh, dissolution experience. Next slide, please. Uh, Fieldman Rolap is the financial advisor for the um, special tax bonds, um, the CFD bonds. The amount of that contract is $86,000, uh, and the rest is uh, pretty much the same. The term is uh, until the bonds are issued, uh, the compensation is bond proceeds, and uh, the qualifications are experience, staff depth, knowledge, and uh, post-dissolution experience. Next slide, please. <clears throat> Uh, Bond and Disclosure Council is uh, Jones Hall. Um, so they'll be serving as bond counsel for the two tax allocation bonds as well as the uh, CFD six bonds. So they'll be bond counsel for all three bonds. Um, and they'll also be disclosure um, counsel for the uh, special tax um, refunding bonds. The total amount of the contract is 308,000. Uh, the details are broken down. Uh, uh, by role and by bond. Um, as you can see for the CFD6, there are, there are two separate roles, Bond Council and Disclosure Council. Um, again, the, the contract remains in effect until the bonds are issued. Uh, the compensation um, funds will be, be provided from uh, bond uh, proceeds and uh, the qualifications are experience and um, in-depth knowledge of uh, OCII portfolio. Next slide, please. Uh, Alex Chu um, is recommended for Disclosure Council on the uh, tax allocation bonds. Uh, the amount of the uh, contract in total is 121,000 um, broken out. Um, as you see here, 59,000 for the uh, Trans Bay bonds and 62 for the uh, refunding Mission Bay South bonds. 
Again, the contract's in effect until the bonds close. The source of uh, compensation is the uh, bond proceeds. And um, Chu was uh, chosen, uh, chosen due to his experience, knowledge of our portfolio and SBE status. Next slide, please. The next steps um, estimated here, uh, we hope to be back uh, in November with the uh, personal services contract for the uh, fiscal consultant for the uh, tax allocation bonds. Um, in December, we hope to bring before you uh, approval of the primary bond documents uh, for this for the Transbay um, infrastructure bond. Um, and in January, go for oversight board approval and then department of finance approval <clears throat> and um, the commission will again uh, approve the uh, preliminary offering documents and uh, uh, statement and the final bond documents. We hope to get to bond issuance by May of 2023. Next slide, please. For the um, Mission Bay South uh, <clears throat> refunding bond, um, it is a similar uh, path, but um, the issuance is not targeted uh, as, as soon. This one is uh, back in is in July, first back to July, um, and um, but it's pretty much the same list of uh, of uh, act, um, actions, uh, just somewhat different timing. Next slide, please. And the CFD uh, six refunding bonds are again different. Um, we don't have to go to oversight board uh, with that. Um, and uh, the, um, that allows us to somewhat compress the um, process of getting there. But in any case, commission will uh, retain a final uh, approval of the uh, primary bond documents. Uh, and that's, we hope to reach that in April of 2023. Next slide, please. And that concludes my presentation. I'd like to uh, ask commissioners if they have any uh, questions or like to make any comments. Thank you so much. Before we get to the commissioners, I'd like to know, Madam Secretary, do we have anyone from the public who wishes to provide a comment? Yes, uh, Mr. Chair, before we do that, I just want to acknowledge that Commissioner Brackett did join us by phone. So she is on the phone. I'll meet her later for the proximity. All right, thank you. You're welcome. And for members of the public who wish to provide comments for I, uh, item C through F, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2483-585-8587, press the pound sign twice to enter the call, then press star three to be placed in the queue. If you are on, already on the phone and would like to provide comments on the bond items, that's item 5C through F, please press star three on your phone. Mr. Chair, it does not appear there are any members of the public wishing to comment on these items. All right, um, hearing no request to speak on this item or these items, I will close public comment and I'll turn to my fellow commissioners for any comments or questions they may have. And I'd like to start with uh, Commissioner Ludlam. Do you have any questions or comments, Commissioner? Uh, no questions, Chair. Uh, these consultants uh, are obviously the choice of the staff and consistent with the annual budget uh, we were presented at my first meeting. Uh, so uh, I'm confident in their selection. Great, thank you, Commissioner. Uh, Commissioner Brackett, any comments or questions? 
not at this time. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Scott, any questions or comments? No questions, no comments, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Commissioner. Vice Chair Rosales. Uh, no comments. I think uh, the team is solid. Um, we've, we've, you know, we've worked with, you know, I think each one of these um, consultants before, and I think uh, they've done a stellar job. Um, so I have no no concerns. My only question is one of the of the just as a curiosity that how often is the city panel established? Is it every two years? Every two years? Every three years? Uh, yes, generally it is two years for the uh, ones established by the um, the uh, um, Office of uh, Public Finance. Um, it's a little more, um, it's a little, a little less tight when it comes to the um, uh, city attorney's office. Sometimes they extend it. They have they have somewhat different rules under which they operate. And uh, their, their uh, terms are that their panel remains in effect until such time as it's, uh, um, you know, re replaced. So um, it doesn't expire. Um, I believe that the, um, it, I think it's outlined in the memo or either that or in the items that the uh, city did, did reestablish uh, this panel um, within, I believe, the last few months, if I remember correctly. Thank you. I didn't realize the city attorney's office. Um, I mean, I realized they had panels of lawyers for, especially for uh, bond council uh, services, but I didn't realize it was an open-ended um, list. So that's good to know. Thank you. Yeah, I, I don't want. I don't want to be unfair to them. I don't think it's open-ended. I think it, it's. I mean, it is an established panel. Yeah. Uh, the time can be open-ended. Um, in that, it can be extended. It remains in effect until replaced. Okay, understood, thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair Rosales. So commissioners, uh, we will take each item separately uh, for these bond items. And so we will start with item number 5C. May I get a motion and then a second uh, for this item? Mr. Chair, I move that we authorize a personal services contract with PFM. California Advisors, resolution number 2822. Thank you, Commissioner. May I have a motion, a second motion? I would second that motion. Thank you, Commissioner. Madam Secretary, please take roll call for a vote for item number 5C. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Commission members, please announce your vote for item 5C when I call your name. Commissioner Brackett. Aye. Commissioner Loveman. Aye. Aye. Vice Chair Rosales. Aye. Aye. Chair, the vote is five ayes. Thank you. Motion carries. So I'll need to get a motion as well as a second for item number 5D. Um, I move to authorize a professional services contract with Fieldman World Lab and Associates, Inc and an amount not to exceed 86500 for financial advisory services in connection with the proposed issuance of the city and county of San Francisco community facilities, district number six, Mission South Bay, special tax refunding bond. Thank you, Commissioner Brackett. May I have a second motion? I second it, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Scott. Madam Secretary, please take roll. Commission members, please announce your vote for item 5D. Commissioner Brackett. 
Aye. Commissioner Ludlam. Aye. Commissioner Scott. Aye. Vice Chair Rosales. Aye. Aye. Mr. Chair, the vote is five ayes. Thank you, motion carries. May I get a motion and a second for item number 5E? I move that we approve item 5E, authorizing legal services contract with the law offices of Alexis SM2, not to exceed 121,000 for disclosure of council services in connection with proposed issuance tax allocation revenue bonds and tax allocation revenue funding bonds. Thank you, Commissioner Brack. May I have a second? I second that motion. Thank you, Commissioner Ledham. Madam Secretary, please take roll. Commissioner Numbers, please announce your vote for item 5E. Mayor Brackett. Aye. Commissioner Ludlam. Aye. Commissioner Scott. Aye. Vice Chair Rosales. Aye. And Chair Bouchard. Aye. Mr. Chair, the vote is five ayes. Thank you. The motion carries. Now, may I get a, a final motion for uh, and a second for number item 5F? I move to approve item 5F, authorizing a legal services contract with Jones Hall, a law corporation, an amount not to exceed 308000 for the reasons described. Thank you, Commissioner Ludham. I'll second. Thank you, Vice Chair Rosales. Madam Secretary, please take roll. Commissioner Numbers, please announce your vote for item 5F. Commissioner Brackett. Aye. Commissioner Ludlam. Aye. Commissioner Scott. Aye. Vice Chair Rosales. Aye. And Chair Bustos. Aye. Mr. Chair, the vote is five ayes. Thank you. The motion carries. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. The next agenda item is number 5G, workshop on amendment to the 2022 2023 recognized obligation payment schedule for January 1st, 2023 to June 30th, 2023. Discussion. Director Koslowski. Thank you, Secretary Cruz and members of the commission, members of the public. Item before you is an amendment to our recognized obligation payment schedule. This payment schedule, this ROPS as we call it, um, was approved by the Department of Finance in April 2022. This amendment is to recognize different changes related to two different project areas and one expired project area. So the Hunters Point Shipyard project area, the Mission Bay project area, and the expired Yerba Buena project area for the Mexican Museum. And these are a variety of reasons which will be presented in detail by Mina Yu, our budget project finance manager. Mina. Thank you, Director Koslowski. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. Again, my name is Mina Yu, and I'm here to present the workshop on the ROPS amendment. We also have our project managers and our city and development partners on the line for any further questions towards the end. Uh, next slide, please. So just some legislative background on the ROPS, AB 26 requires successor agencies to create the ROPS, and then SB 107 amended the two six-month ROPS periods to one fiscal year. Um, it moved the submission date and also allowed for one amendment to the B period of the ROPS. Next slide, please. 
Um, so just a reminder of the schedule. So as Director Kaslowski mentioned, we submitted our ROPS um, earlier this year and received approval in April. We presented this workshop to the Oversight Board last week. Uh, we're presenting this workshop to you today. We'll be, have, we'll be presenting the action item before the board next week and submitting the amendment to the Department of Finance pending the board's approval. Next slide, please. Um, so an overview of the five funding sources on the ROPS, we have our bond proceeds, which includes both prior and anticipated. We have our reserve balances, which are unexpended redevelopment property tax trust fund or RPTTF received in prior years. Uh, we have our RPTTF admin, which is our administrative cost allowance set by formula. We have our RPTTF non-admin, which is just our RPTTF. And then we have our other, which is a catch-all for things not encompassed in the other four categories. So things like developer payments, grants, et cetera. Next slide, please. So we have five proposed amendments before you today. The total is 12.2 million. The first of which is to the Hunter's Point Shipyard Phase to DDA and Tax Increment Allocation Pledge Agreement. Um, there's an additional $68,000 above what we projected in the regular process of putting together the ROPS, and these will be used to reimburse pre-agreement costs under the phase two DDA. We have our shipyard property management line, and we are requesting an additional $640,000 because there were supply chain issues and unforeseen conditions that caused delays, which increased construction costs. Um, we also had a fire at one of the artist studios at Building 101, so we will be repairing those fire damages. Um, our third amendment is the uh, Mexican Museum. We are requesting to carry forward prior year funds uh, to the 22-23 ROPS because we received a grant extension in March of this year. So that will be 5.2 from bonds and 1.6 from others for a total change of 6.8 million. Um, we are also requesting an increase to our 52-54 affordable housing funding. And this is because of um, rate increases in interest rates, cost escalation, and a lack of state financing. So that's a total of $4 million in bond proceeds. Um, and finally, we have our mission-based South Block 9 affordable housing funding, and this is due to construction lease of delays and rep repairs due to storms in the fall of 2021. And this is a total of 722,000. So again, our total uh, changes are 12.2 million. Next slide, please. So this table just shows the changes to the approved ROPS. Um, you can see the largest impact is in bond proceeds. There's an increase of 9.2 million. And this is because of the changes requested for the Mexican Museum and the 5254 affordable housing. Um, this is followed by our $2.9 million increase in other funds. This is for our property management line for the shipyard, um, our Mexican Museum line, and then our block nine affordable housing and then the $68,000 increase um, in RPTTF non-admin. Next slide, please. Um, so the $68,000 increase is less than a 1% change to our overall $151.8 million RPTTF request. So the impact is very minimal to the taxing entities. Next slide, please. Um, again, so just where we are in the process, we have this workshop before you today. We'll be presenting the action item before the board next week. We'll be submitting our ROPS to the Department of Finance uh, by the end of this month. 
and then we'll be back before you in January for the ROPS 2324 um, for the submission to the DOF in February of 2023. Next slide, please. Um, so that concludes the presentation. And again, we have our project managers along with our development partners and city partners on the line for any further questions. Thank you so much for the presentation. Madam Secretary, do we have anyone from the publish, public who wishes to provide a comment? If there are any members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2483-585-8587, press the pound sign twice to enter the call, then press star three to submit your request to speak. If you're already on the phone with us and would like to provide public comment on item 5G, please press star three on your phones. Mr. Chair, it does not appear there are any public wishing to comment on this item. Okay, thank you. Hearing no request to speak on this item, I'll close public comment. I'll now turn to my fellow commissioners for any comments or questions they may have. I'd like to start with Commissioner Ludlam, please. Commissioner, any questions or comments? No questions or comments, Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Scott, any questions or comments? No questions, no comments, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Brackett, any questions or comments from you? Um, only comment I wanted to make that I'm um, happy to see that the um, Mexico Museum project is moving forward, especially this being um, Latino Hispanic American Heritage Month. And so just wanted to um, state that and excited to see the project continue to move forward and that we are able to find um, additional funding through our RAPS program to take care of that for the increase in inflation and cost of construction. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Vice Chair Rosales, any questions or comments? Uh, the only question I have is, um, do we anticipate uh, good news uh, in terms of the approval process from DOF? Ms. Hugh, any uh, response to that? Uh, yes, thank you for the question. I think that we are always very optimistic going into the review process. We do have our work papers very much in order. We've been working very closely with our development partners to make sure that we have our requests in order, all the performance are together, expenditure plans are together. So uh, we do go to DOF very optimistic in the process, yes. And, and based on, maybe it's too early to say, but on past experience, we're able, we've been able to navigate any issues in the past that that uh, they've raised on I know on past issues but you know I'm just trying to get a sense of is it an easier road ahead or have we faced challenges in the past I, I frankly can't remember the results of our last um, amended ROPS process mm -hmm. um, we do generally have a pretty high approval rate we go through a very um, extensive re review process with the our audit, our review, our reviewers, our auditors. Um, a lot of the changes that have been requested in the past were due to property tax increment that was collected, and so instead of us 
um, kind of holding on to those in our fund balance, we've been asked to um, expend those quicker. So that was one of the major changes that we've had in uh, prior review periods. Yep, now I remember, thank you. Great, thank you, Vice Chair Rosales. Um, Ms. Yu, thank you so much for the presentation. And I wanna thank Bree and others who've been working on this for a long time. Um, these are projects that are very important to the commission. And so excited to see this move and um, hopefully see all of these projects into completion. So I really appreciate staff's uh, time and energy put into this. So thank you. Uh, commissioners, since this is a workshop, we will not be taking any action. Um, Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Next is agenda item number 5H, workshop for an update on the San Francisco Unified School District's mission-based school project discussion. Director Koslowski. Thank you, Secretary Cruz. And greetings, members of the commission, members of the public. Um, this is an item related to Mission Bay South. Um, actually, it's North, apologies. Um, no, it's South. On Block P14, which was designated as a uh, school to be developed in conjunction with the San Francisco Unified School District in Mission Bay. And this item will be presented by Gretchen Heckman, development specialist here at the agency. And I think uh, some representatives from the school district are here as well. Uh, Lucinia Adari, I, I believe is here as well. Gretchen. Great, thank you, Director Koslowski. Good afternoon, Chair Bustos, Vice Chair Rosales, uh, Commissioners Scott, Brackett, and Ludlam. Um, as Director Koslowski mentioned, I'm Gretchen Heckman. I'm a development specialist in the Mission Bay Group at OCII. An agenda item 5H before you is an informational item regarding the San Francisco Unified School District's planned Mission Bay Elementary School. Next slide, please. So the last time commission was briefed on the Mission Bay Elementary School was in February of 2021, when school district staff presented the schematic design. Today's item is a milestone and design update related to some needed cost reduction changes, as well as a briefing on the school's outdoor play yard funding and construction. We will also cover contracting for the play yard as well as contracting for the overall project. Next slide, please. So the Mission Based South plan documents and related agreements with UCSF and the master developer call out block 14 in Mission Bay South as set aside for the development of a public elementary school. The site is shown here within the context of the rest of Mission Bay South. And as you can see, it sits on the Western edge of the UCSF campus. It is immediately surrounded by UCSF operated surface parking, a future OCII affordable housing parcel, a future open space parcel currently used for construction staging, and finally a life sciences project, uh, which is under construction an update on ownership. Um, the school district and UCSF are currently in escrow to transfer the block 14 parcel from UCSF to the district so that site work may begin. And that's a major milestone. And now I'm going to turn it over to Licinia Iberi, the district's bond program director, who will present the next few slides on programming and schedule. Thank you, Gretchen, and good afternoon, commissioners. Thank you for the opportunity to present our latest progress on Mission Bay School today. Um, if you could just go to the next slide. 
we're going to talk a little bit about program, which um, I think hasn't really changed. This portion of the project hasn't changed since the last time we came. This is primarily an elementary school, uh, pre-K through fifth grade, serving approximately 550 students. Um, incorporated into the uh, elementary school program is also dedicated space for educational professional development in the form of sort of one-way glass rooms where um, teachers and aspiring teachers can watch classroom progress going on um, for their own educational enhancement. Um, also on the top floor is programmed um, a STEM-focused like learning hub, which go ahead and skip to the next slide. A little bit more information about the Link Learning Hub. It is a, a place for selected high school students from across the district to come together, um, really using uh, the Mission Bay neighborhood and the kind of all the biotech uh, industry that you all have supported over the last several decades um, as really their own laboratory to have firsthand exposure into STEM related fields um, that they might not otherwise get at their home campuses. Um, this is just some kind of the inspirational photos as we move into detailed design of this space, uh, of what this space could look like. Go ahead to the next. Here's the schedule we're pursuing for Mission Bay. Uh, you'll see the string of approvals that our board undertook in June on the next slide, but um, they did approve this uh, in June. The, um, this is being delivered through a design build. Um, delivery method and the design build entity did take over the project uh, really the next day after the board meeting in June. We are now in detailed design, headed to 100% design documents by the end of October of this month, uh, this year, I'm sorry, feels like also this month, just next month. And then um, we'll move into construction documents and approval um, by the Division of the State Architect uh, next year. We do anticipate that school construction would start December of 23, but you will see site work occurring on the site much sooner than that. In fact, we will be forwarding an invitation to this body and of course um, to Director Kozlowski um, and the staff that has been working with us on this, but we have a groundbreaking ceremony planned for October 27th related to the school and site work in the form of surcharging and um, hazardous materials cleanup will begin uh, in November of this year. Uh, we do expect the school to open in time for the 2026-27 school year. Go ahead to the next. This is just an overview of the approvals that our board uh, took on and also the last time we came before this body, February 16th, 21, as Gretchen mentioned. Um, we did go through a whole string of uh, approvals, including adoption of the EIR and approval of the design build contract in June with our board. In August, um, the board, our board also took up the land disposition agreement, which paves the way for the transfer of the parcel formally to the school district. Um, and that, as Gretchen mentioned, we are in escrow uh, on that. Um, I'm gonna transition now to Bolivar Puyol, who with um, DLR Architects, who is leading the design from the design build entity. Go ahead, Bolivar. Thank you, Lucinia, and good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Bolivar Puyol. I'm representing the McCarthy DLR Group Design Build team today. Uh, we're the team entrusted with uh, designing and building the new Mission Bay School, which in addition to serving as a pre-K through five elementary school and providing the Link Learning Hub opportunity for high school students that Lucinia mentioned, uh, um, really is intended to serve as a hub for the community, a focal point 
uh, for this growing Mission Bay community of, of young families. Um, and our design uh, intends to uh, enliven the neighborhood and provide uh, that connection to, uh, to the community. Um, we did have to uh, in, uh, engage in a number of uh, um, reductions to the, the, the program and the size of the building to bring it in budget. Uh, back when we proposed on the project at the end of last year. Uh, included in that was a 24,000 square foot reduction in the original schematic design size of the project, um, going down to approximately 82,000 square feet in size. It is a four-story building um, with uh, the top floor reducing in size as part of that, uh, but retaining largely the program, again, the educational program and the program for engagement with the community, both through the multi-purpose room that will, uh, can serve to be opened up to the community for community events, uh, a central space uh, known as the heart, which is a gathering space for the community as well as the school and the play yard, which is foreseen to be opened up to the community uh, for um, use by the community and events after hours and on weekends. Uh, next slide. This is a little aerial view of the, the campus. Uh, looking uh, at the site from the northeast corner, Mission Bay Boulevard, um, and on the left side of the screen, uh, 6th Street, which is the east bounding street of the property. Owen Street uh, to the west provides the main entrance to the campus, and Nelson Rising Lane bounds the property on, on the south. You're looking at the play yard. The, um, the outdoor space is actually comprised, uh, com composed of three uh, play yards, one serving the largely uh, uh, the grades one through five uh, play area spaces for kindergarten as well as pre-kinder on the north side. Uh, and then an educational garden uh, for the whole school community, which was added to the project at the southeast corner, which is kind of the left uh, hand side of the image here. Next slide. These are just some uh, elevations of uh, the design from uh, when we proposed in the project back uh, in October of last year. Uh, we can just scroll through these couple of slides. And then these are views of the east entrance. Sorry, the last slide was the uh, uh, views of the east entrance uh, to, uh, to, the, to the campus, to the building from 6th Street. Um, again, there, there are two main entrances to the site. Uh, one from the west, which is where the drop-off happens um, for a vehicular uh, drop-off uh, in the main entrance from Owen Street. And this side foreseen as school bus drop-off, as well as the opportunity to open up uh, a large gate uh, for community access to that play yard for events after hours. Uh, the other uh, aspect uh, that we're, uh, we've incorporated into the design is the opportunity for uh, professional art installation, uh, which uh, you can see a little bit of here underneath uh, the bands that you see there above the entrance uh, from the east. Um, so the, the school district foresees uh, engaging with the community and, and uh, hiring a professional artist to incorporate some kind of a mosaic or mural uh, that will further enliven and draw attention to uh, the, the entrances, both from the west and from the east. Next slide. This is again a, a view uh, of the play yard. Um, uh, on the east side of the property. Uh, we foresee uh, uh, many opportunities for nature-based play uh, and educational um, garden areas. Next slide. And lastly, this is a view, uh, again, from the northeast corner 
um, at the Turning Circle on Mission Bay Boulevard, adjacent to Sixth uh, Street, uh, giving an overview of the play yard and the uh, the four story classroom wing there on the right hand side of the image. Thank you, Bolivar. Um, I will now talk about uh, the play yard and how it will be constructed and funded. So the Mission Bay South uh, OPA, which is the development agreement for Mission Bay South between OCAI and the um, master developer, includes within the um, master developer's infrastructure obligations, the construction of a 1.5 acre play yard on block 14. In order to better coordinate the construction of two um, very important, obviously interconnected elements on block 14, the school building itself and the play yard, uh, the district has um, instead requested to construct the play yard themselves rather than the master developer as part of the overall uh, block 14 project. So uh, under this scenario, the district would incur costs as the play yard is completed and will submit for reimbursement requests to be funded by the Mission Bay South Community Facilities District, just as all of uh, the master developers infrastructure obligations are funded. For this uh, scope of work for the play yard, uh, given it's being reimbursed uh, with funds that are under OCII's jurisdiction, the district and its contractor will adhere to OCII's uh, SBE goals. And uh, Lisa Ibera from the district again will talk next about contracting um, that the district is doing for the overall project. Next slide, please. Great, thanks, Gretchen. Um, the bond program at SFUSD uh, does have an approved project labor agreement um, across both building trades and uh, that, that encompasses building trades and uh, local hire and a broader stakeholder engagement effort that was completed when the 2016 uh, Prop A bond was passed. Um, you can see some of the percentages that are included in that PLA here, 25% uh, local hire for total construction workforce, 50% local uh, for apprentice construction workforce. Um, we do have similar pathways to city and county projects through city build, um, OWD, city college and other community organizations. Um, and then the school district, one thing that is different from city and county projects is that we do have a CTE program, a career technical education program that is part of our school curriculum um, that does ha also have a summer internship uh, workforce that um, is allocated to some of our bond program projects. Great. Uh, thank you, Lucinia. So that concludes our presentation. We can answer any questions you may have. Um, you've heard from Lucinia Iberi, the bond program director, and Bolivar Priol the project architect uh, also here for any contract uh, contracting related questions. Uh, George Bridges, the contract compliance supervisor at OCAI um, and Mark Slutskin, the project manager of Mission Bay are also here. Great, thank you. Thank you for your presentation. Madam Secretary, do we have anyone from the public who wishes to provide a comment? At this time, if there are any members of the public who wish to provide public comment on item 5H, uh, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2483-585-8587. Press the pound sign twice to enter the call, then press star three to submit your request to speak. If you are already on the phone with us and would like to provide public comment, please press star three to enter the queue of the public comment speakers. 
And Mr. Chair, we do have one calling out, so I will go ahead and um, unmute. Right. Okay, set my timer. Thank you, caller. Please proceed. Great. Good afternoon, Chair Bustos, Commissioners, Executive Director Kozlowski. My name is Bruce Agate. I'm a board member of the South Beach Rincon Mission Bay Neighborhood Association and the lead of the Mission Bay Elementary School Steering Committee. Our steering committee consists of community leaders and residents are representatives from both market rate and affordable housing units. The affordable housing providers are Mission Housing, Mercy Housing, TNDC, and CCDC. As we all know, this has been a long journey, starting in 1998 with Mission Bay's redevelopment plan, where that plot of land was set aside for this elementary school. Today, with approximately 90% of the Mission Bay housing has been completed, 6,400 units of housing, approximately 30% of those units affordable with a school uh, will also be providing needed capacity for children of families living in the greater eastern part of the city, which has experienced significant growth over the past 20 years with additional growth planned for the next 10. From the Transbay District in the north to Dogpatch and Potrero Hill in the south, totaling 17,000 units of new housing with 7,000 more planned by 2030. Based on the June 15th and September 6th, 2022 approvals from the Board of Education, the community is ecstatic and looking forward to the groundbreaking from what we heard today, which is October 27th. We have a tremendous amount of community support. In fact, we started a change.org petition and have captured over 750 signatures, as well as over 120 letters of support, which were submitted by parents, supporters, and community leaders to the Board of Education. In addition, at the June 15th Board of Education meeting, we had over 15 speakers provide public comment in support of the school, including one young man who was part of the pilot program developing the curriculum of the Link Learning Hub. We appreciate your support and ask you and OCII staff to assist SFUSD, providing guidance as needed to ensure construction can move forward with a clear heads up of all the construction challenges associated with Mission Bay, so FSUSD can have the doors open by August of 2025. Thank you. Thank you for your comment as well as for your leadership. Anyone else would like to speak on this item? Next caller. Chair Bustos and commissioners, thank you for hearing this item today. Uh, my name is Andrew Robinson. I'm the executive director of the East Beth Community Benefit District. And I too am here to speak in support of the Mission Bay School. Uh, the new school is much needed to serve the fast growing, family friendly, and diverse communities in the East Cut, Mission Bay, Dog Patch, Greater Soma, Potrero Hill. The proposed school will both meet the, a need for a local elementary school in the area and create an unparalleled bridge from, for high school, high schoolers to careers in science, technology, engineering, and math. Completing the Mission Bay School is really the culmination of a decade-long effort to achieve exactly what the city's long-range planning was designed to achieve, and we appreciate your support and look forward to seeing this project advance. Thank you. Thank you. Next caller. Hi, uh, good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Bettina Cohen. I'm an 11 and a half year resident of Mission Bay. And I, in fact, am one of the folks that lives in an affordable housing building in Mission Bay. Um, 
I can attest to the fact that it has been quite a long journey, and um, it, but as of when we were organizing for turnout at the June 15th Board of Education meeting, you could just tell uh, when talking with neighbors around Mission Bay that there's a tremendous amount of excitement and enthusiasm, particularly among other residents of, of, of other affordable housing buildings in Mission Bay. Um, people do know about this. They're, they are aware that, you know, some folks would ask, like, where is the school going to be? And, and when is it supposed to be? Uh, you know, when is it supposed to be open? When are they going to start building it? So there is a lot of enthusiasm. It, it's rare these days to find someone who isn't aware that a school is supposed to be coming to Mission Bay. I mean, back um, seven years ago, um, if you tried to tell people that, you know, we need support for a school, they didn't have any idea what we were talking about. Now everybody does, and there's great excitement in this neighborhood for it. Um, I think it'll do a lot of good in terms of, uh, you know, helping families remain in San Francisco. Uh, it is going to serve the adjacent neighborhoods around Soma and Dog Patch and Petrero Hill, where there is all of this population growth. And uh, rather than folks feel like they have, you know, no no school uh, where they can send kids, and then you know that be one, you know, important reason, you know, to, to actually leave San Francisco. This will help anchor families here and, um, you know, uh, they won't have to leave. They can stay here. Um, so that and just it is the final piece of infrastructure needed to complete the Mission Bay neighborhood. And um, it, 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 if you ever take a look at the, at the site location, and how it will connect. The design of it is beautiful as far as how it'll help connect from Owen Street up to, you know, Fourth Street and so on. Um, it, it, it really is going to be something, you know, uh, the jewel of the neighborhood. So please do what you need to do and um, help, um, you know, the, the, the project de design team to complete this school and keep it on track to open in, you know, for, for the 2025 school year, fall of 2025. Please do what needs to be done. Um, there's you. a lot of support for it. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next caller. Hello. Hello. Uh, my name is Ryan Tuffer and I'm a resident of nearby uh, neighborhood uh, Petrero Hill and a board member of Prefund. Uh, Prefund was an is an organization that helped um, uh, keep Daniel Webster open in the early 2000s. Daniel Webster being an elementary school in Petrero Hill, um, and I'm voicing my support of this project because I see, uh, you know, Mission Bay neighborhood as a model for the type of fair, inclusive, and high-density housing our city needs. Uh, and of course, critical in you know making that pushing that development further of this neighborhood um, is of course a local elementary school. As a father of two, I can say firsthand that um, schools do a lot more than just teach our children. Uh, they are the focal points of our communities. They surround our children with additional role models outside of their immediate family, and it helps families stay in San Francisco. So when families stay, it helps local businesses as well, 
and makes our city stronger. So I would like to voice my support. Thank you. Thank you. Next caller. Madam Secretary, is there another caller? Well, uh, good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Chris Chang. I've been an East Cut and Rincon Hill resident for over 10 years, currently serving as the president of the Lumina Homeowners Association with over 1,200 residents. I also serve on the boards of the East Cut Community Benefit District and IDASF, a coalition of market rate, below market rate, and affordable housing residents and businesses in the city's highest density neighborhoods along the Embarcadero and Trans Bay areas. Over the years, I've heard tons of concerns from families with young children living in the high density apartments and condos of the East Cut and Trans Bay areas, of which roughly 30% is affordable housing. One of the top concerns from these families is always about not having adequate public education options for their kids in the vicinity. Instead, they are spending countless hours transporting their kids out to the neighborhood just to go to school and or feeling like they have no choice but to send their kids to private school or leave the city. So much housing and population growth has popped up in our eastern SF neighborhoods, yet schools in the area have not kept up with the growth. This Mission Bay Elementary School is a very important step in the right direction of equity to ensure all SF families can have access to quality public education from SFUSD. There is so much community support on this topic. In fact, we started the Change.org petition and have over 750 signatures and over 120 letters of support submitted by parents, supporters, and community leaders to the Board of Education. There's enthusiasm from the community, especially with the recent approvals from the Board of Education for this school, and we look forward to the groundbreaking uh, on October 27th. We very much appreciate your support and ask you and OCII staff to assist SFUSD as appropriate to ensure construction can move forward and enable SFUSD to have the Mission Bay Elementary School doors open by August 2025. Thank you so much for your time and consideration. Thank you. Next caller. Chair, it appears there aren't any more members of the public, but I'll make one last call. There are some other callers here that didn't raise their hand. Um, if you are on the phone and would like to provide public comment, please press star three on your touchstone. No. Mr. Chair, there are no more callers wishing to comment. Okay, hearing no further requests to speak on this item, I will close public comment and I'll turn to my fellow commissioners for any comments or questions they may have. I'd like to start with Commissioner Scott. Mr. Chair, thank you. And thank you so much for this um, report. My question and uh, concern, when I look at the, um, and it's a concern for safety and uh, considering uh, the cost that would be, have you thought about the cost for safety, the classrooms I'm looking at what you said, the one-way window, which is great for the teachers, their growth and learning, but is it safe when we think about how gun violence has affected uh, 311,000 of our children across the nation? And it started with the high schools. It's now since Uvalde has come to our babies. Uh, all of them are our children, our babies, but what safety measures with that one-way window and then the yard, have you thought about that is my question. And is that a part of the cost with your contract? Thank you, Dr. Scott, for that question. Um, 
Licinia, do you want to report out on the district's um, security and safety protocols and how they might be applied to the Mission Bay School? Sure. Thanks, Gretchen, and thank you for the question, uh, Dr. Scott. Very important uh, question that we are grappling with right now, of course, with the school district and just sort of as a, as a society as well. Um, the district is in a very involved um, set of discussions around site security, uh, which extends anywhere from, you know, ensuring all of our classrooms have appropriate door hardware to functioning PA systems to uh, the ability of our of our school learning environments to be able to um, sort of go into a lockdown uh, in the event of a, of, of a horrific tragedy like we've seen so much of in, in our in our um, our country unfortunately um, one of those you know this is a much larger conversation I think than than we can really have today but uh, mission based school uh, does have um, a lot of kind of modern educational features which rely on the ability to use space flexibly um, and um, there, there are it are controlled access points into and out of the school, uh, but the school is being designed um, to allow our kids to really move fluidly about about the building, and so we will really need to rely on um, securing our access points and keeping any sort of nefarious activity to the lower floor. Um, this school, I think we have made a very intentional decision to try and focus on learning needs for each and every student. And that really does mean um, that the, really the kind of ethos and design objective behind the school uh, is to increase transparency and fluidity of the space. Um, so I think there are things sort of working at odds with each other, very much both priorities. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be happy to have a, a broader conversation with anybody who's interested in a in a, a, a different another forum. But Mission Bay School is, um, yeah, I mean, I'll I'll just say that the walls are made of glass, and we we see the concern that you're raising uh, and grapple with it ourselves. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Commissioner Ludlam. Please, any questions or comments? You're on mute, Commissioner. Thank you, Chair. Uh, no questions for me. Uh, we hear all the community support and are eager to see this project move forward. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Brackett, any questions or comments? Yes, I have a couple questions. Um, one, um, after reading the EIR report um, on the constructed school site, air quality. Um, I have some questions on um, since the school will be very close to the freeway and you have had some, um, reports of sometimes air quality not being the best in that area. The school was planning on having um, any kind of additional ventilation or um, filtration system at the school. And if that was going to be part of the design. Yes, thank you for that question, Commissioner Brackett. Um, the school is doing an enhanced ventilation system given um, the results of the air quality um, assessment. Um, and I don't know, Lucinia, if you have any additional details that you want to provide on that. 
Thank you, Gretchen. You covered it. That is a mitigation measure required um, in the environmental impact report as part of the um, mitigation monitoring and reporting program. We will be, there will be enhanced filtration in all of the classrooms. Thank you. Commissioner. Okay, my other question is regarding the reduction of square foot space. Um, so I noticed it was about 24,000 square feet and it sounds like most of that is um, coming from um, the professional learning space and um, reducing that multi-area purpose space. And so just was wanting to get what the um, actual dimensions of that multi-purpose space is actually going to be. I know originally when we um, had the presentation before us, they were saying the room would be able to be like broken up into three different pieces and it would have a kitchen, other facilities. So just wanted to get an idea of what that purpose space is going to be like. Uh, Bolivar, do you have the dimensions of the multi-purpose room? Uh, I'm actually pulling that up right right now. <laughs> it is still designed to hold uh, a, a whole school assembly, um, so uh, the reduction was uh, was moderate, but had that uh, that still uh, in mind to be able to allow for that, uh, as well as gatherings of the community. Um, uh, if you can bear with me, I'll pull up our drawings right now to be able to. Uh, to tell you the answer to the size of, of that space. So I would also say that just related to the equality concerns, we have uh, kept uh, the building uh, outside of the 500 foot uh, distance um, setback from uh, the freeway. Uh, and we did position, um, consistent with the original bridging documents, the building in a way to shield the play yard, uh, which is, has been kept on the east uh, portion of the site, um, per previous recommendation as well to address um, uh, those air quality concerns. And uh, in addition to that, uh, windows on the west face of the building uh, are not operable, but we do have operable windows on the uh, other faces of the building. So just to address uh, further some of those uh, concerns. Great. Um, sorry, my uh, my drawings are a little bit slow in coming up here, but I can certainly uh, come back to that. Uh, yeah, if you could email us. That, yeah. That'd be great. Commissioner Brackett, any more questions or, or comments? Yes, I did. So um, I also noticed that there was an addition of an educational garden space that was added to the project and um, was also noticing that that um, may also have some impact on the schoolyard. Equipment. I wanted to get a little bit more um, information on how that also impacts because I noticed that there's going to be a special um, monitoring agreement between OCII, the district, and uh, Fossil to ensure um, the building of the additional schoolyard improvements, which includes the garden, and a reimbursement process. So um, as we know, sometimes these projects, uh, construction costs are rising and inflation, and just wanting to know, um, is there any um, 
estimation of the cost um, possibly being a lot higher and what would happen um, during that process with the school district since it's a reimbursement process. Thank you. As well as uh, also the PLA uh, agreement as well, which could also impact project grades. Thank you, Commissioner Brackett. Um, I will let Lucinia speak to the PLA question. Um, but in terms of the play yard scope of work, yes, the, there will be a defined sort of uh, set of um, programming or aspects of the exterior play yard, including the garden space um, that will be agreed upon between uh, the district OCII and our master developer um, Fossil. Um, in terms of cost escalations, Yes, we've been dealing with them alongside our master developer um, for a couple of years now. So I would say we, at this point, we don't have concerns about um, rising costs. It's just something that us um, get incurred so that things get built. So no concerns there. Um, and Lisa, if you want to answer the question about the project labor agreement and how rising costs may or may not affect that. Sure, thanks, Gretchen. So uh, as I mentioned previously, this project is being delivered through a design build uh, project delivery model. Uh, that does mean that the contract that we have with the design build entity, which is McCarthy Builders and DLR, um, they are required to deliver the project in the stated price, within the stated price, uh, which at the time of their, which is based on the program submitted with their proposal and does include both the educational garden and the schoolyard. Um, the risk allocation in a design build uh, project delivery really does shift to the to the developer at this point. Um, there are change provisions, of course, both in our design build uh, contract for extraordinary events, as well as you know owner required changes. Um, and then also, I'll just I'll just say that in the the agreement that will guide the reimbursement, there are also change provisions in there. Um, so as we deal with unforeseen circumstances in construction, there are construct the contractual pathways for us to deal with those things. But um, at this point, there's no reason to uh, think that any of the programmatic elements would be removed as a result of rising costs. Okay. And then I had one other last question about the garden before my other question. But um, in terms of the upkeep in the garden moving forward, will that still be an OCII um, responsibility or will that be something that the district will then own? Um, and the only reason why I um, raised that as a concern is that um, there have been some school sites that have had gardens that have not been upkept um, at the unified school district and that ends up being uh, kind of a different disrepair and a nice on the so just wanting to find out whose responsibility to upkeep the garden it will be and what do you guys um, project those costs of upkeep? Was it minimal or is it substantial? Yep, so um, Commissioner Brackett, the, the maintenance and upkeep of the gardens will be uh, taken care of by the school district. And Lisa, I don't know if you have any yep. uh, you want to say about yeah costs or yeah so school gardens typically uh, are at school sites are integrated into into curriculum elements for students so many school sites that have uh, an, a garden space will hire a garden educator 
and um, there will be some curriculum included with this with the students to actually work the garden. This is also an element that many PTAs will take on as part of their you know app weekend work days or something. Um, and I think also there's just like an element to gardening that it, it is it's not it is messy and seasonal. Uh, and even at our school sites, uh, for some gardens that may appear to be sort of uh, out of order or or not being paid attention to, um, that is sort of part of the learning process for kids. And there are some seasons where the gardens are just not productive and will be kind of dead looking and brown. Um, but we do have a very rigorous and, and, and enhanced garden program across the district. And there's lots of students that are engaged in it and we expect Mission Bay um, to, be, to be another one of those. And if I might, uh, I can certainly uh, vouch for that. My, my daughter uh, is a fourth grader at Claire Lilienthal Elementary School. And my older sons went through Claire as, as well. And we have a wonderful and robust outdoor education program there with uh, two gardens, actually, at each one of one at each of our uh, campuses there. And it just really affords a great opportunity for the kids to get involved uh, in uh, in creating and maintaining the gardens, learning about uh, the food we eat uh, and that we grow. Um, and so we foresee it's why we added uh, that component to this school as well to further enhance that uh, the educational program and the community building that uh, uh, that affords as, as well. Uh, we'd like to answer the question uh, that was asked earlier about the multi-purpose room, which actually bounds uh, the, the educational garden. Uh, the, uh, the area, the dimensions of the space are approximately 65 uh, feet by 60 feet. So a little over 3,600 square feet, almost 4,000 square feet actually in, in area still. So I hope that answers the question. There is a warming kitchen as well as part of the, and, and adjacent to the multi-purpose room. Um, so that, that will be used for um, providing lunches uh, to the kids as well as part of that. And then outside as part of, the, there's the educational garden and then there's also an area for picnic tables outside for the kids to also eat their lunches uh, outside the multi-purpose room. So we've enhanced that area, even if, as we reduce the area inside, we enhanced it by providing additional areas right outside the multi-purpose room. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And then um, I just wanted to thank the public for um, their comments about the project and how many parents in the area are involved with this project in particular. And just to know from the district um, to the that primarily serves the neighborhood but is available to students throughout the district. Has there been any outreach to um, other parents throughout the district or other schools? with respect to the changes that are being brought forth today. Was that a question or a comment, Commissioner? Question. It was a question. Okay. What about question? Um, I think I can answer it uh, quickly. Thanks, Commissioner Brackett. Um, so the district has done extensive outreach. Um, they did it like a for the original design, they did extensive outreach. And then once the cost related uh, design changes um, were finalized, they went back out to community groups and made sure that everyone was aware of the changes to the building. So yes, I, I believe the community has been well briefed on this. Oh, I, I meant like outside of the 
city because we heard from all of the people with the FFA organizations on the east side, outside of the oh, east outside of the east side of the city. That's uh, yeah. Lucinia, do you are you um, aware of communications outside of the east side? Um, yeah, and actually, as these as these uh, changes went forward, um, we really have been focused mostly on an internal conversation with business owners and departments within the district, um, because the new school really is uh, like a, a specialized facility, and we have not had conversations uh, really, really even with the local neighbors about the program of the inside the walls. We have had extended extensive conversations about the use of community spaces and outdoor areas and the way that the building relates to the street. And those conversations have been focused uh, in the neighborhood because those are really the people that will experience the firsthand impacts of this project, both during construction and beyond. Um, but to directly answer your question, we have not engaged the city more broadly in the conversations about the school outside of like press articles and things like that. Okay. okay thank you. And then my last question is only around, um, is this school still going to be serving 500 students or has that number um, be reduced due to the changes in the square footage? Thanks. I'll just... I'll, um, I'll just take that for time purposes. We are still at 500. Uh, we will not be opening with 500 students, though. We will likely be opening, you know, grades in succession to allow the school to fill up over time. But yes, 500, five to 600, sort of depending on class size, is the capacity. Okay, thank you so much for all of that information. Thank you, Commissioner. Um, Vice Chair Rosales, any questions or comments? Uh, yes, I have a, a comment and a question. The comment is that um, the design is beautiful. I, I think we've seen uh, many, many designs, you know, and uh, as commissioners, and I think this meets uh, chair's wow factor. Uh, I just think it's uh, the, the vibrant vibrancy of the of the colors, the layout. I just think it's a very welcoming space. So I want to commend uh, the design team. Um, and the, and the project team for that. Um, I hear the excitement of the of uh, the members of the public. Uh, I did also read the letters that came in from other members and I share in the excitement. Um, so I just applaud uh, everyone's effort and the fact that this um, project is, is moving forward. Uh, the only question I did have, just for clarification purposes, I think it's uh, slide 15 it's the one that says um, the play yard scope of work is, is it says that the school district will adhere to our contract compliance goals for the play yard scope of work. Does that mean that's the only scope of work that our um, SBE program and other uh, contract compliance goals and requirements would apply? Thank you for that question, Vice Chair Rosales. Um, yes, that is correct. So. The play yard scope of work is the only scope of work that is being funded by OCAI dollars. And because of that, it will adhere to our SBE goals. And we've already been in conversations with uh, the district and its uh, contracting team um, to communicate that and work with them as they um, bridge the design work between schematic design, 
to construction documents uh, and get ready to um, hire subcontractors to carry out this the work. So then as a follow-up, does the school district have its own um, small business or local business program? Lisa, do you want to take that question? And the school district does not have a small business or local hire policy. The only labor policy that we have that guides our bond work is the PLA. Okay. Um, okay. We'll, we'll have another conversation, I'm sure, about that topic, but that's it for now. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair Rosales. Uh, Commissioner Ludlam, did I ask you if you had any questions or comments? I want to make sure I got to you if you did. Folks, did I ask him? You're on mute. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Um, I just want to say thank you for the design. Um, I think it is beautiful. I think it's a wow factor that we love uh, for all our projects to show the world that OCI um, does it right. So thank you. The only thing I, 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 we don't have to answer it now, but something to consider uh, for this particular project is um, here we have an opportunity, um, a naming opportunity. Uh, Mission Bay School is a nice name, but I, I think there's an opportunity to name a school in this area after Corinne Woods, who was a major leader in this area and helped make this whole project happen. Um, so I would hate for us to miss an opportunity to highlight the work of a leader. Um, I don't think we do enough of that in not only our city, but even in our country. And this is a leader that did good things um, and they cared about all people. So I would ask uh, the school district as well as OCI staff um, and members of the community um, to really consider that. I think it'd be a wonderful honor to honor this, this wonderful woman that did great work so that future generations can learn about what it means to be active in your communities because she did exemplify that. Um, and I would ask our director um, as we look at other projects, especially in Bayview Hunters Point, um, and the shipyard area, there's so many incredible leaders in the African-American community that um, stuck by the community and pushed for a lot of these wonderful things. And, and I, we would, we really truly would miss an opportunity to not only uh, just name something, but allow people in the community to learn about these individuals um, so that future leaders could follow suit and be active and bring some wonderful change to the community. So um, thank you all uh, for your presentation. Uh, Commissioner, again, commissioners, this is again a workshop, so we don't have any actions that we have to, to take today. President. What was that? Um, can I, I have one more question, I'm so sorry. Um, can it be really brief? Because we have a, a whole set of other stuff that we got to go through. Yeah, it's a brief question. Is this regarding parking? Because I remember last time when we did the presentation, there wasn't very much parking. So um was wondering if that situation was resolved or if it still remains um, no parking on campus, just so that we know how that's, that's going to play brief. out. For that's a not brief question, Brevet. <laughs> I have a brief answer, though. Okay. All right. In the spirit of transparency and candor, the situation remains the same, that we have not increased the amount of parking on site. Thank you. All right, thank you, everyone. Um, Madam Secretary, please call the next item.
Next is agenda item 5I, which is a workshop on the July 2021 through June 2022, report on OCII small business enterprise and local hiring goals practices discussion. Director Koslowski. Thank you, Secretary Cruz, commissioners, members of the public. As Secretary Cruz said, this is an informational item like your previous one. This is a workshop pursuant to our annual update to the board, to the commission on our small business enterprise policy and our workforce program, which are designed to have our innovative businesses here in San Francisco and our hardworking San Franciscans benefit from the redevelopment activities in our project areas. And we'll report on that to you through our staff. We have uh, Mr. George Bridges, our compliance manager, and Maria Pico, I believe, is part of the presentation. And I want to acknowledge our city partners who work with us on this. Uh, I believe Josh Arce at the Office of Economic and Workforce Development. I'm not sure if he's actually present, but I know Ken Nim is here, who's head of CityBuild. With that, I'll turn it over to, I believe, George is first. Thank you, Director Klozowski. Good afternoon, Commissioners Chair Bustos, Vice Chair Rosales, Commissioner Dr. Scott, Commissioner Brackett, and welcome, Commissioner Ledlam, and General Counsel Morales. My name is George Bridges, Acting Contract Compliance Supervisor, and we are here today to present you our annual SBE and Workforce Report. We'll provide you with an overview of the SBE program, SBE performance, and workforce performance. Next slide. The SBE program objectives and benefits. OCII has established an overall 50% goal for professional service and construction contracts. Good faith efforts to ensure SBEs have an opportunity to compete for and participate on agency assisted contracts. We encourage our general contractors to break up scopes of work, the unbundling of contracts to make sure it's feasible for smaller contractors to participate. Our program also encourages teaming and partner arrangements to increase SBE participation. We also require pre-bid and pre-proposal meetings for SBEs to meet and greet our developers and our contractors to learn more about these opportunities on OCI projects. And our program gives first consideration to project area SBEs followed by San Francisco-based SBEs. Next slide, please. So the definition of the SBE the owner should have control of the business and hold the license. The economic size standards to be considered an economically disadvantaged business is determined by a five-year average of gross receipts. So for construction contractors, 24 million, specialty contractors, 14 million, suppliers, 12 million, professional services, 5 million, and trucking is 5 million. And this conforms with the city's micro and small business enterprise program. Next slide, please. And this table is a 12 month activity from July, 2021 through June, 2022. And this gives us an overview of total awards, approximately 137 million, 81 million went to SBEs, which is close to 60% SBE participation. 
we broke that down for professional services, 21 million total, 17 million point five going to SBEs or 83.5% SBE participation and for construction, 116 million total, 64 million going to SBEs or 55.5%. Next slide, please. And on this chart, it breaks out from fiscal year 2016 through 2022. The blue line up top is professional services. So in FY16, 50, almost 60% went to SBEs. In each of the years forward, we've always and continue to exceed the 50% goal. As you'll see in the last two years, 84.6 and FY21, and this year, 83.5. And with regards to construction, the red line, you'll see in FY16, we were at 33.6. We had the dip, uh, mostly because of the tower type one construction. Uh, we were at 20% and FY18, but we continue to increase over the last five years. And then the last two years, FY21 and FY22, we're at 74.6%. And 21, and this year, 55.5 for construction. Next slide, please. And this is a breakout of minority and women business participation on our projects the same time period. So the total of $47 million on agency projects went to minority and or women businesses, which is a 34.4% participation for minority and women firms. For professional services, that was a 66% uh, participation. For construction, it was 28.7%. And if we go by minority, this overall was 24% for women of color, 2.5. And overall for women, uh, Caucasian women, 8%. Next slide, please. So outreach is a very important part of our program. So there's direct notification to small local minority and women businesses, advertisement in general and SBE focused media, postings on OCII and our city, city partners procurement website, pre-bid and pre-proposal meetings with the developers and contractors, and then CMDs referrals from their certification and their contract development program. And we have ongoing dialogue and here's a number of firms and or nonprofits that we work with the national association of minority contractors clark construction strategic business and partnership program baby renaissance center the contracting assistance program nonprofit housing association for northern california next maria Paco will present our workforce program Maria, are you there? George? Are you able to hear me now? Yeah, now we are. Thank you. Awesome, great. Okay, sorry, I was looking at the wrong camera sites to reorient, but um, good afternoon, Commissioner Bustos, um, Director Kostowski, Commissioners, um, General Counsel. My name is Maria Pacon, as George mentioned. I'm going to be presenting the workforce 
portion of this presentation. Um, so just to give an overview of our workforce program, we require um, that contractors and OCI projects make good faith efforts to employ San Francisco residents to perform 50% of local work hours. And this is on a contract by contract basis. First consideration is given to project area residents. Um, our partners, CityVille at OEWD administer OCI's workforce program refer and some of their um, responsibilities include referral of San Francisco residents and day-to-day -day compliance. So to specifically discuss the compliance measures, um, City Bill conducts mandatory workforce kickoff meetings with developers and general contractors. Prior to the start, um, we have pre-construction meetings with each subcontractor. Um, City Bill also collects worker request forms um, and helps with the worker referral hiring process. We also monitor weekly certified payroll reporting and monthly compliance reports to developers and contractors. Next slide, please. So this gives an overview um, of the workforce participation, um, local workforce participation over the last few fiscal years. So as you can see in fiscal year 2022, there were a total of 232,000 workforce hours logged with 60,000 of those hours um, accounting for San Francisco workers on the project. Um, so if you look at the trend, obviously, you know, due to COVID-19, there was a decrease in local hours, but if you look at the actual worker participation, that's increased. So from fiscal year 2021 to fiscal year 2022, we actually saw a 9.5% increase representing increased representation um, of our local workforce. Next slide, please. Um, so just to discuss a little bit um, of the workforce development activities that, you know, that City Build's currently working on to increase um, local representation, um, they're continuing to expand their academy to address demand for workers. So this includes working closely with San Francisco Unified School District, um, working with private industry and community-based organizations for outreach and, and recruitment. In the last fiscal year, City Belt also completed cycle 35 and 36 of their academy. Um, those two cycles achieved 71 graduates, with 61 of these graduates hired locally. That, re that represents an 86% placement rate. City Build also completed three special trainings during the last fiscal year, um, one being Mission Rocks All Women's Cohort and two special training academies um, with UCSF. Um, of that program, tw there were 29 pre-apprenticeship graduates and 27 placements. So that represents a 93% placement rate. Um, to discuss larger workforce measures, um, OEWD granted $44 million in workforce grants across diverse industries in fiscal year 2022. Next slide, please. The last item I'm going to discuss um, is OCI's Architecture and Engineering Training Hiring Program. In August of 2022, OCI Compliance completed the seventh cycle of this program, which matches local college students either living or studying in San Francisco with career training opportunities in design and in design firms. 
on OCI projects. The program runs as an eight to 12 week um, cycle during the summer and combines job training with professional development training. The program is a collaboration between OCII, Japanese Community Youth Center, OEWD, and the Mayor's Opportunities for All Youth Workforce Initiative. Because our program is limited to design students, program staff works with OFA to cross-refer candidates who may be better suited for opportunities within their program. To date, we have created 67 student placements across more than 30 architecture and engineering firms. This year, the program achieved 12 placements, which is the most robust class since the onset of COVID-19. For recruitment purposes, OCI staff have, a strong, have established strong relationships with faculty and student leadership organizations at San Francisco City College and San Francisco State University. OCI also outreaches to local trade associations, including the Association for Black Architectures. Summer 2023 applicant applications open in February of 2023 and will be available on OCI's website and Handshake, which is a widely used student employment online platform. As the primary contact for the training program, interested applicants may also contact me directly at maria.pico at sfgov.org for program updates and information about the upcoming recruitment cycles. Today, we also have two program fellows who um, formerly attended City College and currently work with us to help administer the program. Um, we have Jabon Garung and Andy Anderson. Um, I want to acknowledge that they're both present and Jabon is going to offer a few words about his experience with the training program. Thank you. So if Jabon, if you're present, you- um... Yes, can you hear me? Yes, go on. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Good afternoon, Com um, commissioners and everyone present in this meeting. My name is Jibon Gurung. I'm currently studying Bachelor's of Architecture at AC Berkeley. I've been with OCII and JCYC summer program for past three years, doing summer internship. So I have um, interned at four different architectural firms so far. And this summer, I got an opportunity to work with OCII as a student fellow and JCYC as a program assistant. I've helped with student applications and also helped JCYC to host weekly personality and career development workshop for other 11 interns. As a program assistant at JCYC, I learned about people and program management. I learned that all of these 11 interns have different perspective and personal lifestyles and dealing with all of them was pretty interesting and a great learning experience. I would like to thank Maria and Eilid for giving me this opportunity and teaching me everything about program management. I improved my communication skills, logistic management, program coordinations and leaderships. On top of that, I have networked with many local architects and engineering from different forms. And moving forward, I hope this program will reach out to more local students, which will help their personal or personal career. After I graduate, I've decided to work for a couple of years and gain experience in real life field um, of architecture and apply for master's degree. And the end goal for me is to work with OCI in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Juan. 
Thank you. Uh, as Director Klozowski mentioned, we have Josh Arce with Director of OEWD, Ken Nim, Director of City Build, and special thanks to Marie Foucault and Yvonne Karimas, Compliance Specialist. This concludes our presentation. We are all here to answer any questions you may have. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Bridges, for once again, a wonderful presentation. Um, Madam Secretary, do we have anyone from the public who wishes to provide a comment? If there are any members of the public who wishes to provide public comment on item 5i, please call 415-655-6001, enter access code 2483-585-8587, press the pound sign twice to enter the call, then press star 3 to submit your request to speak. If you're already on the phone with us and would like to provide public comment on this item, please press star 3 on your mobile devices. Mr. Chair, it does not appear there are any members of the public wishing to comment on this item. Okay, with no further or no request to speak on this item, I will close public comment and I'll now, now turn to my fellow commissioners for any comments or questions they may have. I'd like to start with Commissioner Brackett. Uh, just had a quick comment and one quick question. Just very excited about the high placement rates for a lot of the different programs and wanted to congratulate um, all the different um, departments and uh, people responsible that played a role in that. I'm really excited to see a lot of um, participation rate also within the community. And then also just had a quick question as, um, as we're seeing very high placement rates, we're wondering if we have been seeing improvement in retention rates in these um, positions over time. Mr. Bridges, can you answer that? I heard part of that. Can you repeat the question, Commissioner Brackett? Yes, just was wondering if we were seeing any um, improvements in retention rates for um, positions or if they're um, similar to previous years. Yes, my understanding with the uh, increase in participation, there has been an increase in retention. Uh, I'll pass it over to Kid Dim, who may be able to talk citywide around the retention and some of the work that you may have been doing in terms of burial removal. Ken, are you there? Yes, I am. Thank you, George. Again, uh, thank you, Commissioners, President Bustos, Commissioner Brackett, thank you for that question. Always love the opportunity to come speak with the Commission. Apologize, we can't see each other in person. I miss you all. Right, you guys do amazing work, and of course, OCII Commission have been one of the biggest supporters of City Build. Without you, uh, we wouldn't be as successful, as, of course, without the team. And before I go into answer that question, I want to acknowledge the team members that may be listening that's doing the main work, right? So you have your co compliance officer with Tawana Gray, Joyce Wong, and uh, AJ uh, Thomas, and uh, employment liaisons with uh, Richard Fukuhara, our operation manager with Janet, and of course, our OCII staff, uh, Yvonne and Marie and George and working together. Going to the question on uh, retention rate. What we've seen, um, a standard for city bill programs, we're at about 60 to 70% um, retention rate. The numbers that you saw are placements that just happened last fiscal year. Right? And the previous fiscal years, what we've been tracking, right, is around uh, 60, 70%. We've seen a decline because of the pandemic. People have shifted out of the um, construction industry to find work that's available, of course, with the lockdown. 
that really put an impact on the construction industry, not just for city build, but across the industry. So those are some of the experience that we've been in. Um, one of the things that we did exactly what George said with uh, city build, uh, we have a retention service uh, for our graduates. What we've experienced across the industry, first year apprentices have the highest dropout rate which is not the same for city build because we have a, a pretty comprehensive retention program, which we help with barrier removals, supportive services, and placement support. So uh, projects like OCII projects and other projects across the city is which uh, keeps sustaining and maintaining employment. If an individual uh, graduate from our program is laid off, they come back to us, we get them back out to work. And we don't just have OCII projects, we have city funded projects, we have UCSF funded projects and private projects across the city. And also we've sent people outside of the city for work um, to help support the labor needs. So those are uh, some of the uh, answers to the question. Hopefully that uh, addressed that. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. Thank you, Mr. Nam. Commissioner Ludlam, any questions or comments? Uh, thank you for this presentation. I applaud your work and especially the uh, increasing SBE percentage uh, as well as graduate placement. Uh, it's been uh, a tough few years for the real estate industry. So programs like this are more important than ever. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Scott. Thank you, Mr. Chair. And I am just so very excited about the numbers that you have completed in this, that rise. And we've been asking about that, meeting that 50 and you're above it and with just like to hear not necessarily now but what you did to reach those numbers and what are you doing to even move further above that we knew you could do it we're so glad you're there and beyond that um it's just exciting to hear and maria gave her information i'd like you to repeat it maria maria.picot and um george bridges uh, I just happen to be with a large number of students from UC, uh, the UCSF campus and the University of San Francisco who are talking about internship and uh, help with jobs and things. So who exactly do we connect them to and what is that information? Yeah, absolutely. So they would connect um, with me. My It's just my full name, Maria dot P-E-C-O-T at sfgov.org. This um, information will also be published on our website um, prior to the next recruitment cycle. And also Handshake, you can let the students know if they um, if they use Handshake, um, which is pretty popular among most campuses. We have a profile on there as well. It's sort of a new platform that students um, are using um, to basically apply for jobs and internships and things like that. It's virtual and it became popular over COVID. Well, George, Maria and team, thank you so much for this report, encouraging, inspiring. Thank you, Commissioner Scott. Vice Chair Rosales. So thank you uh, as well for the report. I'm always interested in uh, reading the details. Um, I, I had a couple of questions and I wanted to start with workforce just to make sure that I'm on here that um, uh, um, 
comparison fiscal year 2019 to fiscal year 2022. Am I understanding that the local hours are increasing even though the overall hours are not? I understand that correctly? George, would that be you? Commissioner Rosales. Yeah, unfortunately, the local hours and the overall hours are decreasing. But the overall percent of individuals that live in the city, that has increased 9.5%. Yeah, that's what I was understanding. And so then my, so that, so that even though there's less hours available to work, the local workforce is, is getting at least some of that action, right? You know, as it's going yes. forward. Yes. And so it, are those hours based on the same workforce? In other words, are those increasing hours reaching more people? I'm trying to figure out, for instance, uh, the unemployment rate in San Francisco for construction. I mean, we hear that the unemployment rate, I think, in San Francisco is somewhere between 1.9%. I think it's 2.1%, the last thing I, I read. And, and I'm just trying to figure out, you know, that's the macro view, like what is what is the story from a, the construction industry and whether this increasing number of local hours is really a, is reaching more people or is it the same workforce as before? Right. Well, one would be our number has increased, but the number of locals that are working on our project has decreased because of the total hours. But citywide, and Ken can talk more about city projects, but you'll find in San Francisco, individuals that live in 94124, that's the highest placement citywide. So more than likely our project area residents are working on other city projects. Okay. And I don't know if there's anything you wanna to add to that. Yeah, so I'm just looking at a recent report published by the EDD back in the September 16th. Currently the uh, region, that, which includes San Francisco and uh, uh, San Mateo uh, counties, that is at 2.3%, right? uh, so that's the unemployment rate. And a year ago, it was about 4.8% unemployment rate. So it has decreased, and uh, I'm looking at for the construction numbers, which I am, um, I'll take a pause there, and I uh, want to make sure I get the right numbers before I uh, quote that. But uh, that uh, definitely um, it has is higher than before because uh, uh, unemployment for the construction industry is still recovering compared to other industries. Um, one of the biggest challenge is actually having projects that were shut down uh, back up. But with the last uh, quarter, we did see an increase in construction activities. One of the big ch challenge uh, there's still about uh, a little bit over a thousand uh, active uh, construction workers in the. Um, uh, union halls that are unemployed. So this is across the region, not just in San Francisco. Uh, but then uh, that has improved, especially with uh, this recent, uh, this week with the Dreamforce. Uh, IATSE actually called out uh, for, uh, they're short about 200 workers. So they needed uh, assistance from the rest of the building and trades members to work in the Dreamforce and also the various concerts and public activities that's going on. So we do see the activity bouncing back up. 
One of the biggest challenges, of course, the office spaces downtown. Since a lot of people are still working from home, things don't break as often <laughs> as you can imagine. Electricity to plumbing to fixtures, right? So because of that, uh, some of our MEP trade partners, uh, brothers and sisters, which uh, relates to plumbing, electrical work, uh, they don't have as much work compared to where before where there's a lot of uh, people back in the office. So those are just some of the reference of where things are at with the construction industry. And uh, currently, um, the change, I see the change in numbers, but not the percentage. So I'll have to get back to you regarding the percentage. Okay, that's great. Um, and then a, a second question I had is on the business um, program, uh, small business program. Um, it was obvious by my question uh, to the school district staff about do they have a, a local business program or small business program that would complement ours for their part of the project. I was frankly a little surprised by the answer. And so my question is, um, and I'm guessing that this, this is unique to have a developer in one of our project areas that for what is appears to be a substantial uh, development, a small part of it will be um, subject to our SBE program and and the balance of it will not be. Is this, is this usual? I mean, I can't remember in the 10 years I've been on the commission that this has happened before. Yeah, we haven't okay. had very many projects like this. Um, I would say the last project we had, and it was a PUC project and that was the public safety building. And they had their own, you know, program for disadvantaged businesses. But I think the ideal scenario here is that we will be building the park with our program. I can say that McCarthy, the general contractor working with the school district, they do have a director of uh, inclusion and diversity who has worked with other contractors. So even though they don't have a goal, I know there will be outreach there. And we've already uh, exchanged emails a couple of times. So yeah, so so I would encourage um, not only for that outreach, but if there, if, if you, and you don't have to answer here and, and our director doesn't have to answer right now, but if it would help for the commission to adopt a resolution uh, urging the school district uh, to either uh, apply to the extent possible RSBE program to the balance of their program. It's a design build delivery model. So, uh, you know, there's room there, you know, as the trade packages are, are coming through. Um, they don't have to, of course, adopt the San Francisco's LBE program, but we are a sister state agency. Uh, there is no reason why the school district should not have an SBE program. City College has one. Um, back in the day, I advised as a deputy city attorney, the San Francisco Unified School District and the Board of Education on their then MWBE program. So I'm a little surprised that being a sister agency within the confines of the city and county of San Francisco, that they don't have that kind of program. So if staff uh, thinks that, uh, like I said, a resolution by the commission, I'm happy to uh, do that. Obviously not this minute, but um, at the appropriate time. Thank you, Commissioner Rosales. We'll we'll get back to you on this on this question. Thank you. Thank you, uh, George and team. Thank you once again. This is one of the sort of the reasons why I really enjoy being on this commission because it's it's not just about the the vertical 
um, work that happens, but it's how horizontally we, we lift up communities. And that's an amazing, amazing thing about this commission and the work this agency does um, that makes us all very proud. So um, thank you for all your work, your hard work. Thank you to our partners, Josh and Mr. Lim, and for always being um, great partners in this. So uh, thank you all. Uh, commissioners, this is again, another uh, workshop. So no action required. Uh, Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Agenda item number 5J35L related to the report contract will be presented together but acted on separately. Item 5J is authorizing approval of the memorandum of agreement with the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers, IFPTE Local 21, for the term of July 1st, 2022 to June 30th, 2024. Discussion and action. Resolution number 32-2022. Item 5K is authorizing approval of the memorandum of agreement with the Service Employees International Union, SEIU, Local 1021 for the term of July 1st, 2022 through June 30th, 2024. Discussion and action. Resolution number 33-2022. And item 5L, establishing classifications of positions and compensation schedules for successor agency staff and establishing authority for appointment to and vacation from positions under said classifications and other matters. Discussion and action, resolution number 34-2022. Director Koslowski. Thank you, Secretary Cruz. Um, members of the commission, members of the public, um, it seems fitting to, to have this as your final commission item. We were dealing with the kids in our city. We were dealing then with how we employ businesses and individuals in our city. And now we'll be dealing with uh, matters related to the employees who make this all happen uh, in their effort to do excellent work here through the Office of Community Investment and Infrastructure. These, as Secretary Cruz indicated, there's three items that'll be presented in a singular fashion to you. There are memorandums of agreement with Local 21, the memorandum of agreement with Local 1021, as well as a compensation and classification schedule. And there are various terms that you, will be presented to you. Uh, the terms of these labor agreements last for two years. This one will be retroactive to July 1st of this year. And we presented to you in detail by April Ward, our principal personnel analyst. April. Thank you, Director Keselowski. Good afternoon, Chair Bustos and fellow commissioners. My name is April Ward, Principal Personnel Analyst in our Human Resources Department at OCII. Today, I come before you on behalf of OCII seeking your approval of the proposed resolutions approving a memorandum of agreements for successor agency staff bargaining units, which consist of the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers, Local 21, and the Service Employees International Union, Local 1021. In addition, we are seeking approval of OCII salary resolution to establish the authority for appointments to positions classifications that are tied to city benchmarks. To give you a brief history, the existing OCII MOAs cover two bargaining units, Local 21 and Local 1021. In July 2019, Agency Commission approved resolutions and amendments to labor agreements with both Local 21 and Local 1021 through June 30th, 2022. 
Over the last couple of months, OCII held joint negotiation sessions with both Local 21 and Local 1021, and I'm happy to report we successfully reached a tentative agreement on several changes to the MOAs that I will be presenting today. Next slide, please. The first item under the negotiated key terms are salary and wage adjustments. Staff will receive a 10% cost of increase over the next two years, which is com comparable to the city and county of San Francisco employees in both local 21 and local 1021 bargaining units. The schedule of proposed increases are as follows. A 5.25% increase retroactively dated to July 1st, 2022. I'm sorry, July 1st, 2022. A 2.5% increase that will take effect on July 1st, 2023 and a 2.25% that will take effect on January 8th, 2024. Also, there are some classifications that have been outlined on our salary chart that will receive a 1.5% increase or a 2.5% increase for July 1st, 2022 and July 1st, 2023 cost of living increase. The fiscal impact on the cost of living increases are as follows. For fiscal year, 2023, the impact is 445,000. And for fiscal year 23-24, the impact is 325,000. The costs are within the budgeted amounts for 2022-23. For Last, the increase beginning in 2023 are subject to a six month delay and should be there, should be a budget I'm sorry, should there be a budget deficit exceeding 200 million? Next slide, please. That's 300. Continuing under the negotiated key terms, I will now walk you through the amended employment condition. As I stated earlier, our bargaining sessions were held jointly, but some changes only apply to either Local 21 or Local 1021. Throughout my presentation, I will point out if it only applies to a specific bargaining unit. The first employment condition is personnel files. This proposed provision applies to local 21 members only. The current MOA allows for staff to review personnel files. To be consistent with the city standards, we've added the following language that established procedures for employee to review personnel files along with the union of review of files in the presence of department representative with written authorization from the employee. At the request of the employees, materials relating to discipline actions, which are three or more years old, shall be seeds, excuse me, shall be sealed to the extent permissible by law, provided that there has been no reoccurrence of the conduct on which the dis dis discipline was based during that period. The sealed documents will be retained and the employee's personnel, it may be open for purposes of assisting OCII in defending itself in the legal or administrative procedures. The sealed materials shall not be used in the disciplinary proceedings against the employee. This position shall not apply to any discipline for violations of OCII's equal employment opportunity policies. This added position to Local 21's MOA has no financial impact to OCII. The next item is non-discrimination. Currently, OCII and the unions agree that MOA shall be administered in a non-discriminatory manner 
and no person employed or applying for employment shall be discriminated against because of any protected category under the federal or state law. Consistent with city standards, the proposed MOAs include language to more fully describe protected groups, including actual or perceived race, creed, political opinion, physical disability, mental disability, medical condition, genetic information, gender expression, military or veteran status, ancestry, or other perceived category under the law. An employee, group of employees, or a union may elect to process a complaint of discrimination or sexual harassment through either the grievance or arbitration, proce arbitration procedures of the MOAs or through our federal and state law with our, has no fiscal impact on OCII. Bereavement leave. Our current MOA staffs are eligible for three days of bereavement leave for immediate family only. To be consistent with city standards, the new provision allows the staff to use bereavement leave not only for immediate family, but for those whom the employee reasonably owes respect. This position also has no physical impact to OCII. Temporary assignment to a higher classification or acting assignment. This provision applies to local 21 members only. Our current MOA requires a minimum of 13 working days in, in the acting assignment to receive additional acting assignment compensation. The new, the new provision now reduces the number of days to 10 and OCII must provide notice to the union if acting assignment lasts longer than six months. In addition, must provide a list of employees at, and the acting assignments to the union. This provision has no physical impact on OCII. Next one is compensatory time. This provision, pro, pro, this provision applies to local 21 members only. All local 21 members are eligible to earn compensatory time staff hired after the December 31st and are not able to receive unused accrued compensatory time upon separation of employment from OCII as terminal pay. However, the current MOA allows those employees to keep a balance of 120 hours accrued compensatory time. The new amendment now allows those hired after December 31st, 2014 to, main a, to maintain a maximum balance of 160 hours time. The change also allows employees to carry forward 100% of their bank compensatory time. Because comp time has no cash value for employees hired after December 31st, 2014, there is no fiscal impact to this added provision. Next is new employee orientation. On June 27, 2018, the United States Supreme Court ruled in Janus versus American Federation State, County, and Municipal Employees that mandatory union dues and fees and public sector employment violated public employees' rights under the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. In response to this ruling, the proposed MOA include new languages that establishes a procedure for the union, the unions to contact and meet with new employees to determine if new employees will elect to join a union and pay union dues. The new language also requires OCII to provide the unions with employee contact information monthly. This added provision has no fiscal impact to OCII. Vacation cash out. This is a new provision to both MOAs, Local 1021 and Local 21. 
This new provision allows a bargaining unit members, along with un our unrepresented staff, to cash out their accrued unused vacation up to 120 hours per year. Because an employee's balance of unused vacation can't exceed the maximum accrued limits, this provision helps staff to decrease their balances, especially for those employees that earn vacation at a higher rate. I would like to add that this newly added provision does not count as compensation for the purposes of calculating retirement. Assuming all employees cashed out 120 hours vacation time, the cost of this provision for OCII fiscal year 22-23 is 500,000. However, because the vacation time is owed to staff as earned, our finance department has already set aside cash to cover this, con this contingent liability which means there is no physical impact to OCII. Floating holidays. This proposed provision applies to local 10 to one members only. Currently, bargaining members are not allowed to carry over floating holidays. This proposed language will now require a new hire employee to work six months of continuous service to earn and use their floating holidays and allow current employees to carry forward 80 hours of unused floating holidays. This new provision is consistent with existing language from local 21 MOA and has no physical impact on OCII. Our salary resolution. The salary resolution you have before me before you establishes the rate of pay for all OCII classification classifications for represented staff. This resolution also allows for represented staff to follow the same rules of the salary ordinance and receive salary increases. The salary increases must be codified in a salary resolution establishing classifications of positions, compensation schedules for successor agency staff, which includes benchmarks comparable to the city position. It also provides a salary charts that list the biweekly hour and extended ranges rate. Proposed salary resolution also provides an updated tie for the unrepresented classification of commission secretary. The, exi the existing comparable city job class for commission secretary job code 1548, human services commission secretary is no longer active. Therefore, OCII had to identify a new comparable class job classification. To identify a comparable city job classification, we reviewed the city's classification levels and determined that Job code 0922 manager one is appropriate comparable city job classification. Job code 0922 manager one is commiserate with our city commission secretary positions for the public utilities commission and the San Francisco port. Job code 0922 manager one has the salary range of 128,596 to 156,312. As previously stated, this position costs are within the budgeted amount for 2223. This concludes my presentation, and we would like your approval of both the MOAs for Local 21, Local 1021, and the salary resolution. Last, I want to thank our management team, both bargaining units, negotiating teams, Local 1021 and Local 21. Thank you, and I'm alone. I am here along with Monica Steen, Human Resource Manager available for any questions you may have. Thank you, Ms. Ward, for a very in-depth presentation. Madam Secretary, do we have anyone from the public who, who wishes to provide a comment? 
If there are any members of the public who wishes to provide public comment on items 5J through L, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2483-585-8587, press the pound sign twice to enter the call, then press star three to submit your request to speak. If you're already on the phone with us, please press star three on your mobile devices if you would like to provide a public comment. Mr. Chair, it does not appear there are any members of the public wishing to comment. All right, I uh, hear no request to speak on this item. I will close public comment. I'll now turn to my fellow commissioners for any comments or questions they may have. And I'd like to start with Commissioner Ludden. Yes, uh, I have a question. What percentage of OCII employees are covered by one of these unions? Ms. Ward, you're on mute. Oh. There we go. I was thinking, I'm trying to think of the, I don't have the numbers offhand. Does Ms. Steen have the, the numbers? I will, but, my apologies. I will have that just in just a second. My apologies. I will circle back seven. to you, uh, Commissioner Letman. Thank you. Thank you. Um, if I may offer, Mr. Ludlam, uh, while Monica is checking the numbers, I believe we have 38 full-time employees, and I believe there are seven that are exempt from these union MOAs. Got it. Thank you, Director. Uh, I uh, That was my only question uh, as far as comments. Um, the, the rate increase uh, seems appropriate given the macro inflationary environment. Um, the only item that uh, I found curious was the sealing of personnel files. Um, I understand why employees would be interested in it, but uh, it's not obvious to me how having less information will lead to better decisions. Um, now that, that would conclude my comments. Okay. Um, uh, commissioner, well, May I um, maybe offer some clarification for that, uh, Commissioner? Please. So the the uh, this provision is directly related to disciplinary actions that may occur, um, and so consistent with the city. So uh, consistent with the city standard, if a if a disciplinary action has occurred and it's been rectified, the request um, is for those documents to be sealed if it hasn't occurred later. Um, so it's only related to disciplinary actions. Um, versus other types of information, if that if that makes sense. I I would think disciplinary actions would be highly relevant to mm. decision making. Uh, is Do there a hypothetical situation in which uh, this benefits the organization? Well, it would not be permanently sealed if an action occurred or is in violation of. Uh, labor law or equal employment opportunity. So it wouldn't be permanently sealed if, a, if it is egregious action or personnel action requires us to unseal or properly address any personnel, any personnel issues. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Um, Commissioner Brackett. I'd just like to say um, 
so happy to see um, this agreement coming into place um, and that most of our workers are now supported, especially during the pandemic. OCII staff definitely stepped up. We were one of the first commissions to actually hold public meetings via Zoom and all of the work that went into getting that done and continuing to provide services and continuing the um, with projects and stuff like that. And I just really want to tip my half off to staff and this is a well-deserved um, compensation um, retroactively and in the future for all the excellent work that this commission um, staff has done. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Brackett. Commissioner Scott. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I too am happy to see this. It breaks my heart to hear and see so many of our leaders in the city that can't afford to live in the city, can't afford to survive here. And it is well-deserved. And I was thinking as I was listening to April Ward and she was uh, sharing about the salary increase oh. and the delay of the deficit. And she reported that as 200 million um, and it reads 300 million. Is that an error in our paperwork or were you missing the numbers? That's an error in our paperwork. It is 200 million. It, okay. Wow. Okay. Okay. And just again, um, the gracious allowance of yielding uh, towards dignity, respect, and honor with our relationships. I think of uh, how many people even went all the way to um, Europe to the Queens, you know, and, and in tears, 70 years when we're around people and family and can't get a day off to grieve. And the relation is so deep and so close, and especially now the children and things. Um, it means a lot. So I, I'm grateful that we're at this place. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I just want to, I'm sorry, um, Chair, I just want to correct for the record, per our MOA language, the deficit delay is 300 million. Ah, okay, okay. Right. Okay, we need to make sure that that is all reconciled, okay? Yes. yes. Okay, uh, Vice Chair Rosales, any questions or comments? Chair Bustos? Yes. My apologies, just to be clear on what was correct, the paperwork you have before you is correct. It says 300, I believe, is that right, mm -hmm. Monica? Correct. Okay, that is the correct yes. information. Just wanted to be clear, you have the correct information. Thank you, Thor. Thank you, Monica. Okay. And thank you, April. Vice Chair Rosales, any questions or comments? Uh, no questions. Um, I'm happy with the, um, you know, the negotiations and, um, I too think that the uh, bereavement uh, leave was um, something that is appropriate and necessary. Okay, thank you. All right, commissioners, we will need to take actions uh, on each of these items and we're gonna do them separately. Um, so I will need a motion and a second, similar to what we've done before earlier today. Um, but let us begin with item number 5J. Uh, may I get a motion and a second? I move to approve item 5J. Thank you, Commissioner Brackett. May I, I, sec I second that, Mr. Chair. Okay, so we have a motion and a second. Um, Madam Secretary, please take roll. 
commission members, please announce your vote for item 5J. Commissioner Brackett. Aye. Commissioner Ludlam. Aye. Commissioner Scott. Aye. Vice Chair Rosales. Aye. Aye. Motion carries. May I get a motion and a second for item 5K? Mr. Chair, I move that we approve authorizing 5K, sir. Okay. Thank you. May I have a second? A second. Thank you, Commissioner Brackett. Madam Secretary, please take roll. Commission members, please announce your vote for item 5K. Commissioner Brackett. Aye. Commissioner Ludlam. Uh, aye. Commissioner Scott. Aye. Vice Chair Rosales. Aye. And Chair Bustos. Aye. Mr. Chair, the vote for item 5K is five ayes. Thank you. The motion carries. Now, may I have a motion and a second for item 5I? 5L. Sorry. L, I'm sorry. Don't know math. I'll move uh, 5L. Thank you, Vice Chair Rosales. May I have a second? I second it, Mr. Chair. Okay, thank you, Commissioner Scott. Madam Secretary, please take roll for 5L. Commission members, please announce your vote for item 5L. Commissioner Brackett. Aye. Commissioner Ludlam. Aye. Commissioner Scott. Aye. Vice Chair Rosales. Aye. And Chair Bustos. Aye. Mr. Chair, the vote for item 5L is five ayes. Thank you, and thank you all. This motion carries. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. The next order of business is item six, public comment on non-agenda items. Mr. Chair? Do we have anyone from the public who wishes to provide a comment? At this time, if there are any members of the public who wish to provide public comment on non-agenda items, please call 415-655-0001. Enter access code 2483585-8587. Press the pound sign, then the pound sign again to enter the call. Once you're in, press star three to be placed in the queue. If you're already on the phone with us and would like to provide public comment, please press star three on your mobile devices. Mr. Chair, it does not appear there are any members of the public wishing to comment on non-agenda items. Okay, hearing no request to speak on this item, I will close public comment. Uh, Chair, I'm, I apologize. Could we give it another 10 seconds? I know there's someone who is expecting to make a public comment. Okay. Okay. Give them another 10 seconds. Uh, well, well, we will give them seven. <laughs> Uh, Jamie, uh, Andrew Robinson of the East Cut CBD is raising his hand. Is that the incorrect uh, procedure? Can he, Andrew, could you, just so I know you're one of the callers here, can you press star three on your phone? I don't. I'm about to close public comment. Oh, I see it. There it is. Thank you, Andrew. Caller, please provide your comment. Uh, thank you very much, Chair Bustos, uh, Commissioners and Executive Director Kozlowski. This is Andrew Robinson, Executive Director of the East Cut Community Benefit Districts. 
I know that you've had a really long meeting today and I thank you for your service on this commission and willingness to hear one more comment. Uh, but I'm here today to urge OCII to prioritize the development of Underramp Park. The park has been in development since 2011 and in February of 2022, OCII, the TJPA and the EastCap CBD entered into an agreement that maps out a path forward to simultaneously advance the park while the East Cut CBD raises funds to address a projected operating deficit. Mm -hmm. The agreement stipulates that the schematic designs for the park would be completed and brought to this commission as well as the TJPA board last spring. In June, the East Cut launched a sponsorship campaign to raise funds for the park, believing the park's designs would gain approval shortly. It's now September and the East Cut is facing questions from potential park funders who have indicated a willingness to support the project but are requesting to see the park entitled before committing significant resources to support the park's future operations. The vision enshrined in the agreement is that all the parties would be advancing their respective pieces in concerts in tandem. Now the East Cut CBD is on the cusp of meeting the agreement's first fundraising milestone which is securing 1.2 million dollars and the funders are requesting action on the side of the public partners to confirm the project will advance. Hitting that $1.2 million milestone is a trigger to move to actually design development and construction documentation. But with schematic design approval currently in limbo, we are experiencing serious reluctance from our community to commit more funds for the project until there are assurances that it is advancing in a timely fashion. So I'm respectfully requesting that OCII staff commit to finalizing the schematic design phase and bring the project forward to this commission for approval as soon as feasible. The neighborhood has grown tremendously in the last decade through the good work of OCII. And this park is desperately needed to offer the recreational opportunities, dog park facilities, uh, and community space in our dense mixed use neighborhood. We see Underramp Park as an essential and missing piece in the neighborhood. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. No other requests to speak? No other requests to speak. Okay, I'm closing public comment. Uh, Madam Secretary, please call the next item. The next order of business is item seven, report of the chair, Mr. Chair. There is nothing to report. Please call the next item. Next item, next order of business is item eight, report of the executive director, Director Koslowski. Thank you, Secretary Cruz and members of the commission. Thor Kozlowski, Executive Director of OCII. I have a couple of updates for you and I'll lead off with a few uh, community happenings or events that are happening, groundbreakings. Um, I wanna let you know about the temporary terminal area that is being managed by the crossings in conjunction with the um, East Cut CBD. There's an event on October 16th called the Glassy Arts Festival um, from 4 to 7 p.m. I believe that Secretary Cruz had notified the commission about that event that's happening. Um, the area the temporary terminal is on is uh, Main and between Folsom and Howard. The address there is 250 Main. Um, we'd like to support um, outreach about the events that are happening in our project areas. And this is an activation that uh, the community uh, really enjoys. So I want to let the commission know about that as well. Also in the Hunters Point Shipyard, they're having their twice a year open studios for the artists that are there. There are over 300 artist studios there. Um, 
The open studios is October 22nd through 23rd. So October 22nd and 23rd, virtually all day from 11 to 6 p.m. And the address of that is 457 Galvez. And that's the Shipyard Open Studios. Also in the Bayview community, there's a Bayview Beautification Day out on the Candlestick area, organized by the neighbors there, the residents, under the platform of Together SF, which is a volunteer organization platform. That's this Saturday, September 24th at 10 a.m., starting at 750 Jamestown. And that is to um, clean up a lot of the illegal dumping and trash that has accumulated um, there in that area. And the residents are going out there to do a, a cleanup. I'll be attending that as well, if anyone would care to join me. That's at 10 a.m. this Saturday. Also, I wanna uh, recognize Commissioner Ludlam and Commissioner Scott, who attended the India Basin Shoreline Park groundbreaking on the 14th of September that occurred at 900 Innis. That's an important park project being led by the city's rec park department. Um, that park and the adjacent development uh, being done by BUILD is adjacent to the Hunters Point Shipyard area. So it's of, it's of, um, it's of importance to the development of not only the shipyard, but the beautification of that community. Other matters un unrelated to community events, I wanted to update the commission about the Civil Grand Jury. Um, Civil Grand Jury is an organization, uh, it's a city entity out of the, um, the court system that annually does a report that looks at different city operations and takes sort of a, a critical eye and writes a report recommending uh, improvements to some aspect of the city's operation. This year they did a report on the shipyard um, and the contamination that, excuse me, the cleanup contamination program that is going on there, especially as it relates to groundwater and the effect of sea level rise on groundwater levels um, in the shipyard in particular, which is a situation throughout the city and throughout the Bay, Bay Area as well. Um, the report was issued on July 14th and the Board of Supervisors undertook a hearing on September 15th under the Government Audit and Oversight um, Subcommittee. Um, OCII, along with our sister department, the Department of Public Health, participated uh, in that hearing. The report asked for the mayor to respond directly and to the for the Board of Supervisors to respond directly. Um, the GAO, as it's called for the Board of Supervisors, will be having another hearing on the 29th of September, where the Board of Supervisors will present their finding, their, their response to the findings. But I want to let the the commission know about that. Also, um, as you heard from Andrew Robinson, I've been working with Commissioner Ludlam and our staff here for about Trans Bay and the prioritization of the design approval for Under Ramp Park. Under Ramp Park in Trans Bay um, is between First and Second Street uh, along Clementina Street that goes along underneath the, the um, overpasses that are there. It's a project that'll involve the Trans Bay Joint Powers Authority as well as Caltrans. Um, they are the underlying property owners, and we have a design that we'll be bringing forward to you sometime in November and December for that park. I want to also let you know that we had a Certificate of Preference subcommittee meeting on August 26, where we heard from um, not only the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, but also from the contractor Lynx, who this commission hired in December 2021 uh, to begin research and finding some of the um, certificate of preference holders that whose addresses we have lost and are not unable to locate them. So we heard an update about their work and the new leadership community foundation. 
who is just beginning their outreach to recruit um, community investigators to help with that search process. The committee also asked about um, looking at a disparity study. And we're gonna have a meeting uh, on that topic um, September 22nd with a group from that subcommittee. And I also wanted to notify the commission that um, there was a hearing that got continued related to the block four project in Trans Bay. As you recall, uh, you approved a project um, on block four, about 680 units of housing with the developer Heinz. Um, we were going to the board for a approval of a plan amendment and some zoning changes related to implementing that project. The developer Heinz had come back to us and said that their development on an adjacent parcel at parcel F, uh, they were looking at the financing, having some trouble trying to figure out how to go forward on that project and wanted some time to look at that financing. So we we're planning on continuing that hearing to some time in November or December, but that the continuation occurred today at the Board of Supervisors and I wanted the board, the commission to be aware of that. So that concludes my report. Answer any questions the commission may have. Thank you, Thor. Um, commissioners, any uh, questions related to items of the executive director's report? Um, no, I just want to say, Thor, you forgot to mention that you and I were at the groundbreaking of the park across the street from Chase Center. Indeed, thank you. Yeah, uh -huh. anyway, yeah, you forgot about that. Uh, but, Mr. Chair. But commissioners do try to show up uh, when they're able to support uh, these projects by, by having a presence there. So thank you so much. All right, hearing no other questions, uh, Madam Secretary, please call the next item. The next order of business is item nine, commissioners questions and matters, Mr. Chair. Commissioners, any questions? All right, seeing none. Uh, Madam Secretary, please call the next item. The next order of business is item 10, closed session. There are no closed session items. Next order of business is item 11, adjournment, Mr. Chair. All right, fellow commissioners, we have had a act agenda. Um, thank you for sticking uh, through and thanks you to all the staff members who've stayed on. Um, may I have a motion to adjourn? Yes, Mr. Chair, thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Oh. Yes, I move that the meeting be adjourned. Thank you, ma'am. Have a second. Thank you, Vivette. Commissioner Brackett. All right, so adjourning the commission meeting at uh, 3.41 p.m. Thank you all. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.